Welcome to Take Note. This is episode 183 of our podcast in which Adam and I get together, share little bits and pieces of our lives that we've written down in our notebook. Hello, Adam. Hello, Ted. And uh, we're excited. It's a, a special episode. It's not a 10th episode. It's not a decasode. And yet we have number one fan of the show, Ryan Sly, here with us. Hello, Ryan. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me again. It is always a pleasure. Some would probably prefer to hear you more than Adam and I. I, I don't want anybody to actually admit to that, but I just hold that in my heart all the time. Um, but today we are going to talk about uh, the New Yorker fiction issue. This is something we've done before. Have we done it twice before? At least twice yes. before. I want to say... At least twice before. Yes. I want to say th- maybe three times. Maybe three times I, before. I believe you. It's uh, become a fun summer tradition. So I, I've got a tattered copy of the print edition in front of me. There are three fiction stories we're going to talk about. If you haven't read them yet and you're interested, hit pause. Go read them, and then come on back. Uh, but before that, we're going to jump into some what he got. That means what has everybody written down in their notebook that they would like to share in podcast form? So Ryan, what do you got? Well, I was thinking about how no one enjoys hearing about your dreams as much as you think that they will when you start to tell them what you dreamt about the night before. Uh, so I thought maybe the problem was that you have, you know, too much detail. There's too much context. So here's a, a dream of mine with, with as little context as possible. It's the incompetent crocodile dream. Uh, in backyard swimming, saw frogs. Out comes crocodile. No idea what to do, really. Actually, not a very good croc. (laughs) Got trap shut. Tired hands. Uh Uh-oh. Threw into street. And that is the incompetent crocodile dream. (laughs) Those are way better than most descriptions of dreams. (laughs) I will give you that. You've succeeded. I think you're 75% of the way towards a children's book, right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Awesome. Um, Adam, what do you got? All right. Uh, I've written in this uh, standard issue DDC 54 surplus green with hazard yellow. Ryan's favorite. One of my favorites. I've written this. We last recorded on August 3rd. Since that time, I've traveled three states, first east, then west, and then home, with a stop off to take a nap in a casino parking lot. And the whole time, for ten days, I've been stalked by a ferocious earworm. Elton's, Elton John's, I guess that's why they call it the blues. <laughs> uh, my kids Competent have been... songsmith. My kids have you're, been you're... watching all of the uh, Pitch Perfect movies this summer, like, repeatedly, and... Oof. It is, it's been a real problem with all the, the pop songs being stuck in everyone's head all the time. 
Like someone will start the beginning of one and then that's it for the rest of us the whole day. <laughs> now do they do do they do existing pop songs in that film series? That's correct. Yeah, okay. Too much. My version of that is I put the uh I put one of my son's playlists on at baseball practice to be kinda, you know, peppy and but a little bit, you know, getting you fired up, and then like the zombies too soundtrack song, song uh-huh. comes on, and it's like, well, who put who put this on there? <laughs> this is not credence. The song the song has haunted me, but but it also it kind of makes me want to live by it, and so I do think before we continue tonight, we're gonna have to decide if we're gonna be laughing like children. Living like lovers or rolling like thunder. <laughs> it's up to you guys. I don't mind. I just need to know what what tone I'm supposed to take. It yeah. is thunder. That's right. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see here. This was uh, this was yesterday. It was at Minute Maid Park, home of the Houston Astros, at a baseball game. My daughter and I were walking around the concourse around about the seventh inning. There's a uh, if you're familiar with Minute Maid Park, as I know a lot of our listeners are, there is a uh, an Astros Hall of Fame area, kind of in the behind left field, um, with, with these stanchions, these displays. Uh, so we're walking past those displays of Astros of yore in the Astros Hall of Fame. Uh, Bill Brown, a beloved broadcaster and historian, was being inducted alongside '80s second baseman Bill Doran. Hey. Yes, yeah, see, anybody of a certain age from Houston hears the name Bill Doran, and there's this involuntary positive response. So as we looked at the Bill Doran display, which is this new one, brand new because he's being inducted this weekend, a woman tapped my shoulder and asked if I would take her picture. She was with her partner. I agreed and began snapping shots in front of, snapping shots of them in front of the Bill Doran display. In microseconds, the thought occurred to me, who would want their picture taken in front of the Bill Doran display? Uh, Doran was a solid player, handsome, capable for some memorable teams, but he wasn't iconic. He moved on to play for the Reds, I think, worthy of commemoration, but hardly a cult figure with the heft to warrant a portrait, uh, much less even a modest pilgrimage to a stanchion like this. And so I looked at this partner. He was tall. Strapping, handsome, yet could have been an athlete in his day, could have been in the 80s. The contours of his cheekbones and his nice eyes were not dissimilar to the ball player in the picture. Someone behind me cried, is that you? Indeed, I was snapping terrible pictures of Bill Doran in front of his brand new Astros Hall of Fame display. No way. It was awesome. I was so flummoxed i didn't even say anything to him i just started grinning like an idiot and gave her phone back to her hoping that the pictures were not ungodly terrible and i moved on so she was bill doran a <laughs> <laughs> uh, strong mustache on on that handsome lady <laughs> indeed what do you got right um man i'm pretty blown away by that um it was awesome Traveling this summer, uh, hanging out in the United Club somewhere, I don't even remember exactly, but uh, overheard a phone conversation a a young lady was having with her boyfriend, 
they were arguing for a long time. Yeah. Uh, about Bill Doran. Um, <laughs> and then she said, I don't know how people sleep on this, but the Bible is actually a really interesting book to read. It's way better than reality TV, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's great. I'm done. I'm not reading my next one. I can't compete with that. <laughs> All right, you got one more. Adam has uh, Adam has passed. All right, so you're All right. up again, man. Keep I'll it rolling. Do it. All right, so maybe I was on my way to Cabo, but I went to Cabo for a weekend while the kids are at camp, and uh, my wife and I, and went out early, as people apparently do, to put your you know stuff out there on a good chair, the infinity pool by the beach, the best view, and then went back upstairs for coffee. Uh, and then it started pouring rain. I mean, just <laughs> pouring rain. Um, and I had put out, of course, my the book I was reading and uh, the magazine that I had bought in the airport, uh, The Atlantic, great article about baseball in it. Um, really enjoying it. Yeah, both of them got totally soaked. The book was uh, Adam Webb's copy of The Train. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's completely ruined. Um, That's fine. That's all good. I did, <laughs> I did finish reading it, Adam. I, I'm at, I owe you a new one because that one is, it's it's done for. No no worries at all. Oh, I was hoping you'd say, oh, you can get it for a pretty good price on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm just, I'm glad that you experienced a tragedy equal to... Yeah. The great tragedies within the book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, if I mean, it's worth reading. Maybe not on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's a great Cabo read because uh, <laughs> you could really be like, oh yeah, this really sucks for all of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like that sounded hard, but you know how early I had to get out here to get this, <laughs> get this chair. chair. <laughs> More margaritas, please. <laughs> You know who could have used a margarita? That guy who just <laughs> lost his family, huh? Am I right? Sorry about All that. All right. Let's talk more fiction, shall we? Well, quick, before we jump in, Adam, you mentioned it, but uh, Ryan, what are you writing in right now? What's your, uh, what's your notebook du jour? So, well, I'm currently in a the amber version of the Field Notes Craft Edition. Oh, um, is that, that's old, an old. Is that an older edition? No, it's the new like craft plus. Oh, the new one. Sorry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, gotcha. Okay, cool. Oh, you yeah, mean the craft amber plus. colored? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I may. That's my mistake. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. You know, those guys. They got me good here lately. With the, uh, they did a Wednesday like berry colored version of the craft plus free with any order and with all the hype about the new one coming up i resubscribed Good. and uh i thought man i'm about to get more of these that i should use a craft plus this time around so that's what i started good that's exciting i'm glad you're feeling it yeah you know i have i was pretty good about using more than buying last year and so now i'm gonna swing the other direction and uh share some books with you guys coming up real soon 
<laughs> cool. Sounds great. Um, I'm writing. I got my uh, Dapper Notes Metaf- Metamorphosis Edition, which is from April. And I told you guys, but I'll say it in this forum. I'm getting pretty, uh, pretty darn comfy with a beautiful, mini-paged uh, pocket notebook showing up every three months uh, with these dapper notes. This one is like an intense, uh, luminescent butterfly design. Uh, got another one with a cool illustration. I got one a couple days ago uh, from uh, yeah, Yuma York designed these things for uh, for Mr. Dapper Notes. Enon Avital, and uh, just one after the next is really handsome. And they have, you know, like these fly leaves, these leaf paper things. Like the new one is like just thin and sort of vellumy, and it has these amazing like line drawings on them. And I just, it's become this like, you know, it's not that much time that elapses between them, almost to the point where I'm like, wow. He is putting together some really cool notebooks on like a pretty intense schedule. And uh, I don't think I can give these things up. It's working too well and they're so fun. And I have two in the holster. So I'm like in no, I'm not going to catch up anytime soon. So it's like, man, feeling it. So I'm, you're vibing field notes and I'm feeling dapper notes right now. (laughs) Hook, line, and sinker on that one. Yeah, they're so nice. He just instituted a an option to get the kind of paper that you want inside your notebook. So I I now have a ruled notebook coming. So it's not even I don't I don't even have to compromise on the paper type that I like. So kudos. Really remarkable work every every time out. Makes me wonder if he is assembling them after you tell him that or if he, he's just making a batch of each kind and he's going to end up with extras or something. I don't know. I mean, I'd imagine, I'd imagine just based on his personal t- like he hand signs each notebook. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I can't really tell, but I'm thinking it's a small operation, a responsive operation where you, you get, he, he makes what you order. I, that's my guess. That's my guess. That's, That's what it feels like. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I really like mine too. I've I've used, I use mine as a as a dream journal. Thank you, Ryan. And I've got two dreams left. And I've already got the one you're work, working with now, Ted, the metamorphosis. I've got that one ready for. I just need to shake two dreams out and then move on to another <laughs> dream journal. <laughs> Right, so turning to the New Yorker fiction issue of middle July 2023. So there's three stories that we're going to talk about. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna... why, Adam, why don't you start us off with Hiromi Kawakami's story, The Kitchen God. Hiromi Kawakami. Not to be confused with Mieko Kawakami, who's excellent Japanese novelist. Her book, Breast and Egg, is really good. Um, so at first I thought I was reading a Mieko Kawakami story. And then I did a little Googling and I realized, different lady. Uh, the Kitchen God, a woman communicates with a three-faced creature who lives under her refrigerator. She begins an affair with a man who pays for sex, but is too desperate 
for a real relationship. So that's The Kitchen God by uh, Hiromi Kawakami. And uh, what, do I, what do I have to say about this story? I, I loved how all over the place it was and how kind of unexpected it all was. And uh, yeah, then it just sort of ended, you know? She runs into the kitchen, yeah. got to get it, and it ends. So I enjoyed the story, and that was sort of my experience with it. There's also a weasel, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the weasel of gossip, of lore. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, you, you never... The, the, the main character is not someone who you feel particular uh, sympathy for. For most of the story, I would say. It's sort of, I mean, they're sort of cagey and a little bit unreliable and a little odd. And you're starting to wonder what what odd, you know, what is she, she like, she commits little strange acts if I, well, she's eating stucco off the wall. Yeah, and stealing stuff. Yeah, so you're like, <laughs> ah, like, geez, okay. Um. And, you know, she's sort of into, like, positioning herself against kind of the gossips of the building. But, uh, you know, if, if uh, someone's eating stucco off the walls, I'm like, I'm with the I'm with the aunties on this one. Yeah. You know, I, uh, sorry, I, I read the description and then I thought about the, the very end of it. But just, I should just sort of correct myself. There's a tragedy that happens to this woman, and I don't want to say what it is. Yeah. But I also yes. don't want to be uh, flippant in, oh, the kitchen god shows up. The kitchen god shows up to her uh, at the end of a, after a tragedy has happened. And that's how it resolves itself. Um, but I don't want to leave. I didn't want to spoil, but I also realized that in my description, I seemed uh, maybe too flippant about how how the story ends. Well, and I think the the... At the end of the reading experience, you are in a position of, um, of being being pulled along by a, a sort of um, unsympathetic character who then, you know, when the tragedy occurs, it uh, it's clear that uh, she doesn't have the tools that she probably wants to navigate this world that she's in. So it's sort of. I mean that is the experience of the reader to to have your to to ask yourself geez why was i why was i so unsympathetic to this person uh and why did it take such a horrible thing happening to her for me to realize that maybe i shouldn't be such an a-hole as i'm reading this um which i think in my opinion is 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 well done i mean the 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 writer is doing that to the reader it's a created experience which you know which is what becomes so impressive for me i think when i think about fiction writing is was it worthwhile the experience that the the writer put the reader through was it careful and intentional and then did it turn on a dime or pivot or change or or cause I mean, I think causing the reader to change their mind about someone is a really remarkable feat. Like, I didn't enjoy every sentence of this story. I didn't find it, you know, I didn't, wasn't like, oh my gosh, they're, they're a, you know, a 
their sentences are are doing amazing things. There were moments where I was like, okay, um, which is not unusual for any story, really, I guess. But at the end of the day, I was impressed with the layering effect of the, you know, is the weasel real? <laughs> is the kitchen god real? If if they are not real, then what is what is the character need from these phantasms in order to get by? One of the things that, about this one, it was there's so many unexpected things that happened in it, and 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 sort of unclear things like the weasel, where you're not really sure if there's really a weasel, you know the kitchen god and all these sort of like question marks throughout. And I read some of the, uh, you know, accompanying stories about it, you know, like uh, the author talking about communalism in Japan and, and in this article, she basically sort of declines to clarify anything hmm. about the story. Mm -hmm. In a way that lyricists often do, mm. you know, it, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, when somebody doesn't want to tell you what they wrote a song about exactly, and they want to, they prefer to leave it up to the listener's interpretation. That was very much her position about the story, and I think about yeah. her writing in general. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's uncommon, probably that uh you know not wanting to reveal what a story is about um, I think or, yeah, or necessarily I think a lot of what pressure. actually exists in the story maybe like that's what you didn't want to reveal <laughs> yeah. like yeah Rhea, yeah is, is are these things really there and it's really more about the the maybe threats and and opportunities um you know it reminded me a little bit of uh you know the john prime song <laughs> um you know the the story of the woman that sort of lives within the, the kitchen and uh and is longing for something larger than that and you know it was just a yeah such a bizarre turn though or you know a version of that though with the, <laughs> with a great beginning i love the beginning of the story <laughs> Just such a weird, like, right out of the gate, she's mm -hmm. eating stucco off of the wall, and it's like, what in the world? <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> and I, I will, I'll say this about the weirdness of that, like, it did, it was almost written as though it wasn't, like, she's not the only woman who eats stucco off the wall. It, the, the, this, right. um, this apartment that she's in, and which she describes, um, the Okusans are the wives who, you know, I don't. They're not trapped there, but they've got nothing else going on in their lives except the gossip, and you can almost. Uh -huh. It's, I mean, you're. I don't think you're supposed to think that they're all eating stucco, but you could all imagine. You could almost imagine that they, their lives are affected in such a way that. If they're not eating stucco, it may be something else along the lines. But it's not that bizarre in the world that she's found herself in that she's eating stucco. 
Yeah, or stealing things from the store every day. Right. You know, for right. sport. And it, it's one sort of, my, of yeah. One, one of, of the, my favorite the, lines from the story that I'm looking at, as you said that, was, with all the talk about weasels, I had no chance to steal anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. there you go. That's the... Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it's she seems like she seems unique, but it also they also do a good job of like uh explaining this uh how all the wives in this apartment building or many of the wives in this apartment building are almost like outcasts just like her. Yeah. But I think at, and, the, yeah. at, at the same time from the point of view of the narrator, she's not quite able to see that. Or, and that that's almost the distance between her and the others. It's like she's never willing to say, "Okay, let's let's actually get together about this." Instead, you know, but she she's always sort of to her the weasel talk is is cuckoo. But then she's got her own. She's talking to the kitchen gods, so she, she can't see what you're describing, where they actually share more than she would ever willingly admit. Probably until the final lines where she sort of does this mantra of, you know, the desire for universal happiness, which is a real spin right at the end. Yeah, I think, yeah, that felt like a, very much a reaction to the dark ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where she, she sees more of that, right. more of the threads yeah. connecting everybody. Should we hit the next one? Yeah, I mean this was a this was quite a way to start. <laughs> if you're the editor of this magazine and you're like, here's some yeah. fictions, like, all right. <laughs> okay, the next one is a Jumpalahiri story. Adam, you want to tee this one up? Peace parties by Jumpalahiri. A novelist in Rome misses his son, grows dissatisfied with his wife, and uses his writing to imagine a connection with a woman he met at a party. Um, Jhumpa Lahiri went through the uh, creative writing program at my alma mater, Boston University, uh, some years, a few years, 10 years before I did. And uh, I always think of how much I did not enjoy one of my third creative writing teacher at BU. The first two were great, the third one not so much. Whenever I see Jhumpa Lahiri's name, I think about that third guy and what a pain in the butt he Is was. this why, Adam, you're always... <laughs> complaining to me that you never got the Lahiri treatment at uh, at your alma mater. Is that, is this, does this explain that, I guess? Yeah. I was wondering why he went on and on about that. That's right. Yeah, right. never got the yeah. Lahiri treatment. I imagine that Jumpo Lahiri, whose name might not be pronounced that way, uh, did not need any special treatment. That's what I like to... That's what I yeah. think. Like, oh, that, I didn't like that guy. Yeah, he probably wasn't any help to Jumpo Lahiri. She probably didn't need it. Well, this, I mean, the the funny thing for me, it you know, I, I associate her with, you know, fiction from her whatever particular kind of background. And I don't say that with any level of knowledge. But the, making the leap to this being a first-person uh, novelist speaking in Italian from Rome... And then I thought, is this written in Italian? So I went to, so it, I mean, at the end, it's translated from the Italian. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Which I, that whole that kind of experience of realizing that was interesting because I think I just jumped in and then you know the characters Roman and you know you start to wonder oh, what's that okay so she's there's some there's some cool kind of like uh, like uh, layering in that respect kind of right out of the gates. She moved to Italy a few years ago, learned Italian, started writing in Italian, and I think edited a collection of like modern Italian short stories too i had no idea about any of that it's awesome i mean i could have done that if i got the lahiri treatment (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i could but i choose not to (laughs) what did y'all think of the story at first i was maybe not loving it i don't know i don't even want to say that yeah it really grew on me so maybe i was like this is good and it got great. So I, I don't even want to say I wasn't enjoying it at first, but I did not think this was for me so much for some reason early on. Uh, but it just kept it kept digging in, and uh, I I felt I felt like in a way it felt very inevitable, but in an unexpected way. Like when you get to the end of this story, um, it seems it seems inevitable, but from the beginning, um, I wasn't wasn't quite sure i mean i had a similar experience and i i think you know by the time i reached the end i i realized that some of the power of it came from the structure of it you know the the repetition of the party that happens every year and you know it was a a real exercise in setting up expectations for the reader and the character and then using disruptions to those expectations they can be they can be small disruptions but when they upturn kind of this this craving for routine that you get as the reader then the 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 upturning of those becomes dramatic in a way it's sort of the opposite of uh you know eating chips of stucco it's more like this one person that i sort of thought i might see at this party showed up but it was 30 minutes later than i thought and as a reader you're like oh 30 minutes later what does it mean which so there's that that style doesn't necessarily jump out from the very beginning it's the it is the accumulation of it that to me was was the power of this story i mean very 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 deliberately it's like she has this party every year Every year I look forward to it for these reasons, and this happens, and these people are there, and I'm a little uncomfortable, but then I get, you know, it's a very human level story, too. You know, us, just us Roman novelists hanging out, this is the kind of experience that we typically have. (laughs) Ryan, what was your, I mean, did you enjoy the story? Did you enjoy it from the start? Did you not enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I yeah, I I think I agree that it's sort of where you know, yeah, much different beginning where the other one, you know, or the first one is just right out of the gate like grabs you in a way that's like what is this going to be about? This one was yeah, a little slower build, but didn't take too long, I don't think to make you sort of wonder, you know, would would this guy that's had this tr- strange interaction with with someone at the party end up, you know, having an affair? And he's just 
considering things and feeling guilty about that, maybe looking for some excitement in his life and inventing some maybe. Um, but yeah, it does not go exactly where you think it's going to. And at the same time, I think that the author manage, manages to make you care about, you know, what happens to P and, and, uh, and you get, get, get pretty invested pretty quickly. So I think it was effective. Um, yeah, really different from the first one. Certainly. Do you think the whole, I, I, there was a, sorry. No, go ahead. Do you think the narrator, do you, do you think that the relationship is entirely one-sided or the interest is entirely one-sided? Um, I don't know. Is it, was that your feeling, right? Like the, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely invented. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. But so I guess what's great about that, right. Is like, and, and maybe I, and the great thing about having this conversation is it's like, we talk about it a little bit and, and this, that's when these ideas kind of occur to me is like, maybe we, at least Ted and I weren't into it so much at the very beginning because like, it's, it's boring narrator boring narrator becomes obsessed um and if it starts with obsessed it's a totally different story it like has to start with boring because i didn't realize it was entirely one-sided until the very end and then it was just like that was like Mm -hmm. the inevitable odd like oh my i didn't you know and it's not exactly that the narrator is unreliable either um but only seeing it from his point of view i i mean the the voice to me, plays plays a large role in that, and it, it's sort of a long history of male narrators who just sound a like a little bit too much like they are sure that they are right about everything and they know what they're talking about. Like just whatever that is, that that certain je ne sais quoi, that certain benevaruto de cantuto, you know, that we all sort of can feel about it. Um, that was my, those aren't real Italian words. I know you guys are <laughs> wondering. No, I appreciate that. Um, but the, the, when we get it transcribed, that's going to make it easier. <laughs> but this, I don't know that, that thing of like, just describing your own personal step-by-step thoughts and feelings. And even as I think back, his descriptions of his wife were so reductive and ridiculous and like and just kind of nauseating in hindsight but he does it in this way that's sort of very you know i'm i'm i I understand everyone around me and i'm describing these social dynamics but then you you do realize over over time i think that he is just just delusional about at least the women in his life um it sort of like ties in. He's you know describing sort of the monotony of the of the parties in a way, and and his relationships and stuff. And he's stuck as a writer, and probably feeling stuck in his life. And yeah, is very reductive of his partner and things. But that that lends itself to him inventing this romance that doesn't exist. And if we go back to it, like, there's never any indication. I don't think he's unreliable as a narrator because there's never any indication that she is also 
feeling anything for him. If anything, like more and more, it becomes obvious that she is not looking for him at the parties or waiting for him or yeah. anticipating seeing him or it's like less and less until you know what well, did did y'all find that you climax. did y'all find that you wanted her to be interested in him i mean it was almost like oh she ugh, she she should stay away from this guy he's kind of annoying <laughs> but you sort of expect that it eventually will yeah come to pass yeah when they go to the you know the remote tropical island and Right. The think, stage is set. I think we know from Ferrante that nothing, no good happens at remote tropical islands. <laughs> well, and that, you know, the comparison to Ferrante comes up in a sense, too. Once you, once you, once the Italian threads start to come out and it's first person and it's very human and sort of human interaction over long periods of time, there's, I mean, the, the mind does... Uh, tiptoe over to Ferrante. I did really like. Um, there's one description of of mourning in the story that I thought was really, you know, notable. She writes, um, "In the wake of a death, even your own breath, your own shadow, come as a shock. Everything feels inappropriate and decent for a while." But that that was a good way to describe how people feel in loss yeah i i underline yeah, that's that great as well but even as i you know even as i read that i read that he's like for a while <laughs> like oh, yeah, yeah, you're such true. a dick yeah. <laughs> god can't you just not once ever <clears throat> yeah that, that's fair <laughs> two uh two first person narrative stories in a row really when you think about it I'd say vastly different in the in the way in which the narrators unfold the I don't know their experiences or their stories. You know, one is sort of the victim, or not sort of. One is absolutely the victim of something. In this one, he's kind of the perpetrator um, of a at least a very weird, very weird <laughs> neck. Neck nuzzle, or oh my god, I loved how, I loved how that that horrible moment that that you know crushed his dreams that something was blossoming was just the weirdest interaction. I thought it was so great. Yeah, because like you're sitting there like, oh, did what would I think if I saw someone <laughs> do that? Like, it was so great because again, it was almost weasel like. You could you were like, is that real? Would people have not noticed? And then he was later like, everybody would have noticed. But it was just so, just weird enough to be great, I we, thought. Yeah. And I, I think what I love about that is um, that, like, that very weird moment. I love the idea that, like, there actually may have been a spark, right? We don't know for sure, right? It could have just been these sort of, like, missed yeah. connection thing. Probably not. I don't think so. But, like, that could have been that. And just completely being so weird in that moment is going to wake everybody up to, like, this is such a... This is... What what did I almost do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, if you thought this was going to happen, an awkward (laughs) kiss in front of my family, probably not the way to start it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. 
Next story is uh, this is Colorine, Colorado, which uh, which is a story about a writer who has a student who becomes vastly more successful and questions the way that uh, the way that the narrator goes about everything, and then uh, then she dies, and the, the writer who's the narrator has to come to terms with the death of her student and thinking back and what it means for her. Now, as I look at it, this is another first-person narrative story. Um, what was y'all's reaction to this little tale? Well, the difference for me with this one, I'm going to jump in because I have to ask this question, is that while I did resubscribe to the physical copy of The New Yorker, and did not receive it in time to read them out of the magazine. I both listened to it mm. and read it at the same time. <laughs> wow. And my question for you two is, is that psychotic behavior? <laughs> I did just say wow as you described it. <laughs> so you might have to be the judge of that one. <laughs> I think you're just an efficiency expert, right? <laughs> I don't have time to read this. I'll read it and listen to it. <laughs> well, sad thing is, you were driving. I th yeah. Well, you know. So you would you would read it and then play the podcast like to the to get to the next section of where to let you cue the the podcast to where you'd left off reading and then went back to reading that sort of thing. Is that what you were doing? No, I was <laughs> listening to the author read it while I also read it. You that that made the that might be the hack of all that might be the hack of all hacks. You might did you I feel like maybe you achieved a level of symbiosis with this story that none of us could even dream of, but I guess we'll find out, well, right? I ha I have to admit this is not the first time I've done this within the New Yorker app. I I uh, have done I've done it before. Well, did you and find I, the first time I did that? I was like, am I nuts for doing it this way? <laughs> did you find that it, you had to like slow down and pay attention more? Was there like an effect of it um, that you? Could I do notice? get a, I do get ahead. Yeah, I read faster than they can uh, allowed, so it does slow me down. Um, are there yeah, any positives that, to this process? I think is what we're trying to find out. We're trying to be open-minded here. Oh. Well, I mean, uh, no, okay, I, probably not. Right. <laughs> See, I find that I, I have that thing where you know I'll read a couple sentences and then I'll realize that I've like skipped whole entire words and stuff. So I'm guessing there's some level of, you know, it did make me pay attention to what was happening a lot. Yeah, and that's I, I, that sounds at least worth a try. <laughs> at least worth a worth a try before deciding whether you Ryan are psychotic or not. But when I try it, I can be just trying it to figure out if you're psychotic. And I'm I'm yeah. I don't I don't take personal responsibility for strange behavior on my part, which I think makes me a Roman novelist. <laughs> but um, let's see. The first thing I underlined in this this uh, story is the sentence: "Eggs interest him." <laughs> and I don't remember what that means, but I my my the note that I wrote at the end of this story was fiction as essay, um, yeah. which I think I think what I meant was 
that you know when I when I think of essays that I love, they are reflecting on a topic. You know, maybe it's personal experience. Maybe it's a you know someone like this chef that she's fascinated with, um, and then it you know you use that as a jumping off point to reflect on other topics or yourself or digging deeper into something about yourself or something you experienced. And you know, as I like this this piece of fiction to me actually read like or felt like like an essay like that um which uh i thought was really interesting and i thought it was a really cool way to approach fiction is to um i don't know you know more or less put yourself in the mind of a of someone writing an essay about their own life it wasn't devoid of narrative there were some great narrative moments but so uh, I, I wrote re- reads and sounds like nonfiction. Yeah, wow. Yeah, but <laughs> now there's cool. a, but there's a point in that story where they uh, where the writer where where the when the writer and the her student who becomes a filmmaker um, are are interacting. They talk about how everyone assumes that like the the fiction that the stories are all not biographical. I think. And so I think, yeah. I mean, unless I'm misremembering, I think the, you know, the, part of putting that in the story is to, you know, reject, have the reader kind of understand that that is not necessarily the case. But then the very ending of the story, like the last paragraph with the description of making the eggs, seems to yep. suggest that the story is more biographical to some degree. Um, I I, I liked the story um, a lot. I think a lot. Um, I liked it. But the the things, there were things that just did not ring true to me. Um, mm. And so it seemed to me, and it seemed to me probably that the things that didn't ring true, this is all conjecture, are the things that maybe um, were, you know, fudging up the autobiographical part. So the the thing that really just, stuck out for me was the description of the student artist filmmaker's career and yeah it just just didn't seem anything like reality um to me even it it seemed like yeah i don't know um and of course i could be completely wrong well i said or wonder if it's intentional maybe yeah well, because so much of it is about style, and and the the narrator, the author, well, the narrator, <laughs> who seems like it's probably the author, is more about character than plot, and you know, sort of struggles with the plot side of things, and so when it comes to talking about things other than herself and kind of sourced telling the story of that, would she fail a little bit at it? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had the same response, Adam, and it ties like to stuff, to other stuff I've read recently. So I was reading, I was reading, um, Jonathan Lethem's book, um, a gambler's anatomy or anatomy of a gambler or something like that from 2015, 2016. Um, and the, the crux of that book is like this guy befriends or pseudo befriends a rich guy who's gotten rich through these tacky restaurants and the descriptions of the tacky restaurants 
are like so bad and and <laughs> everything you know i think it's but it's the same phenomenon when you're when you're as a fiction writer trying to describe something that like caught on or like became famous uh it is really risky because if you're describing an idea that falls flat it becomes totally implausible and i i felt the same way that i read those terrible descriptions in Jonathan Lethem that I, I felt that same way being like she played the character and every you know the same character and it went became famous and had movie deal. and you're like ah this just feels like a description of something becoming famous is so weird <laughs> and it's so hard to get that right and I'd probably have to like think carefully for a while about things that have done it well but that 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 moment hit me too. I mean, I thought there were moments of drama that I really enjoyed, like her describing her evening with, you know, the like drug-addled yep. yeah. Addie. I thought that was very well done, and like a beautiful a beautiful sequence, yep. with the pinata and you know maybe a little overwrought, <laughs> I, I guess, with the symbolism and the where's the hole for candy or whatever. It was a little bit overwrought, but I thought it was very dramatic. Um, it's a, I guess it's a shame. It, like, I, 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 it's just a shame that like it's easier to notice the things that take you out of a story than all the things that work. Yes. So I hate to dwell oh, it's on a thankless, that. It's a thankless yeah. endeavor to write yeah. a piece of fiction. because because well, a lot of it did. <laughs> a lot of it. I mean, it, it did work, and I did enjoy the story, and I like yeah. I thought it yeah. worked in the end really well together. But and and the weird, the sort of formlessness of it at the beginning, like it does all come together, and it. It works, and even yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought there was a lot of really, really satisfying um, the way she interwove the creative questions among these two characters, among and between, and then really did act those out in the writing of, you know, the, the in the actual story. Like so, it was the characters are interesting craft, but then the writer is also you know exercising the same decisions that the you know that the characters are undertaking i thought i thought there was some pretty interesting stuff going on there and that's a that's a that could easily go south um but it it she held it together what did y'all think of these the the sections with titles it reminds me of another thing I'm reading right now that I'm not enjoying very much. I think it means I need to pick <laughs> I need to pick better books to read. But I'm reading Neil Stevenson's The Diamond Age, which is just overwrought, poorly edited sci-fi. But every three pages he has some really long like so, like section header that tells you what's about to happen in the section. Yeah. I'm like, God, it's weird. bless I I can't read these anymore. It's like taking time to read what i'm about to read so i'm very anti-section header at this point not i read right past all of them except the I aliens and skokie because skokie is <laughs> a suburb of chicago and like you know i was like oh okay well great we're gonna be in chicago um so you'll only read a heading that's immediately uh pertinent to you well just the others just didn't even like t- didn't even register yeah. with me uh, like well, i, I read this story think... last night and 
the last section is called eggs in a basket eggs in a hole and i don't think i i mean i literally just read right past it didn't even notice it. which means which means they're totally unnecessary so why would they why would she bother unless to make it feel like an essay i mean that's the only thing that's the only effect i can think of you guys are anti like chapter titles i think i am i think i am yeah yeah Uh, yeah i i am too yeah okay (laughs) gosh Wow, I'm glad I wasn't walking into a trap there. The uh, the the other <laughs> no, I, I... the the other immediate reaction I had to this story, which I really enjoyed, and who <laughs> Camille Bordas's novel I want to read, and uh, I once went to a reading by her husband, the novelist Adam Levin. Uh, but the other thing that just right off the bat annoyed me is that it was the second story in a row uh, told from the point of view of a writer. Oh, so annoying. Yeah. What so the hell's annoying. going on? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Why? Yeah, right. There's not other... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't... It would be interesting if we got to a point where it was just determined that writers are going to be much better writing stories about writers, and so everybody just gave up on everything else. I mean, I do think that it's been that way for a long time. And I, there, I mean, there was a period in my life where... It felt like every story I picked up was like about a writing professor, like who had a beautiful writing student fall in love with them. It kind of has a little bit of that feel to it. Yep. Well, um, yeah, this is kind but, of like that, actually. This is kind of that deal. It's like yeah. a slightly different version of that, but yeah. You're like, oh, come on, guys. Go read a book about crane operation or something already. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I like that. Thinking of this as like, this is uh, like a different very different take on the campus novel it's afterwards it's uh, maybe the teacher in a way has kind of fallen in love with the uh student oh i guess it's the same thing actually wait that's the yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. no i think i think there's a lot i mean she questions her abilities as a teacher she like the the student makes her feel you know like she has no idea what she's doing yeah 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 she feels like you know just she's <clears throat> can't let go of the fact that she has stolen yeah although from her students that's pretty fast and the student doesn't remember it, it at all. yeah it's just like yeah that yep. that must have been a different mexican student <laughs> that's yeah 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 that was a great line um yeah yeah, yeah. i did really like it I, I really did there were a couple of things i a couple of lines that i i noted i really liked one was that the story went nowhere but it did so at a fascinating pace (laughs) and the other was uh the human brain refuses to know anyone deeply it's like it knows it's a bad idea (laughs) i um i like this yeah i well about that that first line about the story not going anywhere but um going there at a fascinating pace that I have been noticing lately that that is something I especially like. I read this book, Burnham Wood by Eleanor Catan, Cotton, I don't know, uh, which turns, which is actually very plotted, becomes like kind of like a literary thriller. Um, but early on in the book, there's these parts where characters are just talking to each other and it seems very inessential, but it's, it's just, it, it almost, it's like characters gossiping about characters and you're, I'm just reading it going like, wow, this is, I do not need this, I don't think. Like, this is not information I need, but it's written in such a way that I feel like I'm there with them in a very satisfying way. And I've realized that, like, that's something I really like 
um, yeah. in writing. So yeah, I, I like well, that. The, I mean, not to not to rag on Neil Stevenson too much, but this genre, this sci-fi genre stuff, it feels like uh, he's relaying information that I think I that he that he thinks I need, and yet it's all done so poorly that I am sitting there thinking, why are you telling me this? Why are you wasting my time? So I, th- I think in a sense that's great writing, where it really isn't what you're talking about or what you're doing, it's about how you're doing it. And when, when to me, when writers lose that, that really hard-to-capture tension between what's important and when writing really well and, not, and, and that perfect kind of balance point, that's, that is what it's all about. Um, which I think, you know, that argument about reading lots of different stuff at the same time, I think it's a perfect example of it. And, you know, the, the Peas Parties story, I think, was an, was an example of getting nowhere but, but maintaining that balance really well to the point that getting really kind of nowhere, it, it didn't really matter because it was well done. Um, but I, I think this really helps that you didn't have to not care for that long. No, that's true. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you know, like a novel, like crazy, short. you know? Yeah. Like to write a novel where it's, you, I mean, the, you know, back to the Ferrante thing, uh, she manages to write many novels where you care the whole time. And I can't remember right. anything, yeah. you know, it's, I couldn't recount any detail from those books, but I cared the whole time. Absolutely fascinating, this whole writing game. It's been really fun to talk about these stories with you guys. Absolutely. I'm glad this is a, yeah. glad this is a summer tradition of ours. We, sh- we should do it again. We really, really should. Um, if you have any thoughts about any of these stories, head over to takenote.space. Sign up for our Substack. Link's over there. Uh, I, I think it's turning out to be a pretty good little newsletter. Uh, but you can comment on stuff and, uh, you know, send us notes and email. You can email us at takenotecentral at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Uh, it's been a fun ride, Ryan. Thanks, as always, for joining us a little, a little earlier than usual. I'd like to be known as the number one newsletter fan. Oh, hey. All Thank right. you add very it. much. Add it to the plaque, Adam. <laughs> Get out your, uh, your welding torch or whatever it is you use. Yeah, I'm going to weld another plaque onto the plaque already. So okay. we'll get the number one newsletter fan <laughs> plaque welded onto the number one fan of the show plaque, and it's already connected to the occasional co-host plaque. Um, yep. It's going to be a plaque to ship this when we finally do. Irregular object. <laughs> Extra feet. All right. Take care.